I wanted to start our little uh, meditation on one of the, the deeper meanings of this day, uh, looking at the actual verse in uh, the book of Vaikra, Le- Leviticus, uh, chapter 23, verse... I'm going to read it to you in Hebrew here. So I'm scanning my Hebrew text to find it. Okay, yes. Verse 35. So uh, Leviticus 23, 35. And I'll read it in Hebrew and translate as I go for you. Not that you guys need me to translate, of course. Bayom harishon. That means on the first day. Mikra kodesh. What's that? Yeah. Yeah, sacred assembly, holy gathering. Yep. Kol avodah. I think NASB renders that as um, yeah. Lo ta'asu. Don't do. Shivat yamim. What's that? Yeah. Taklivu. What's that? Yeah. Bring, bring near. Isha. What's that? Yeah. Fire offering, or literally a fire. La Yahweh. Bayom Hashmini. Yeah, that's right. Bayom is on the day. Hashmini means on the eighth day. Tirza likes to count in Hebrew, and when she counts in Hebrew, Tirza, how do you count in Hebrew? Achat, Shtaim, Shalosh, Alba, Chamesh, Shesh, Sheva, and what's this one? Shmona. Yeah. So Shmona is Hebrew for what number? Eight. That's correct. So if you wanted to say eighth, how would you say eighth? You'd say Shmini. So Shmona is eight, and Shmini is eighth. All right. So this day in Hebrew is called Shmini Atzeret, and we just learned that Shmini means eighth. Um, we can just finish reading this verse to get the other word, Mikra Kodesh. Yeyelachem, which means it'll be for you. Vehiklavtem, and you plural, will bring Isha la Yahweh, a fire offering to Yahweh. Atzeret, he. Did you hear that word there? Atzeret. Yeah. So the big question is what is an Atzeret? How, does your, how, do, how do your translations render that? Really? Bring a fire offering, etc. There should be some kind of translation. Skip it. Skip a closing assembly is how yours renders that. Okay, that's a good translation. Is this the end of thirty-five still or thirty-six or what verse is that? Ah, yes, we're in thirty-six now. A day of public assembly. Okay. So there's a, there's you can. Okay, you can hear there's a bit of a variety of translations there, hey? We're going to look into why that is, because there's a deeper meaning to that word. And that's why these translators are kind of struggling to figure out the best way to render that. Anyway, it says, Atzereti, it's that, it's an Atzeret, Kol Melechet Avodah, so like all the boys work, Lotasu, don't do. And then it says, Ele Moade Yahweh, these are the appointed times. Of who? Of Yahweh, that's right. So that's, that's why we're here, because this is an appointed time of the creator of the universe, where he has invited his covenant people to encounter him, to gather before him. And uh, for me personally, this, 
this is also a day that I observe because Yeshua observed this day and I follow him. So if, 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 it, was something Yeshua, it, was, if it was something that Yeshua did, then it's something that I want to do too. And that just, like, that just hits me anew every year. This is something that Yeshua grew up doing every year of his life. No, it wasn't just something he did because he had to. It was something he did because he wanted to. It was, something he, it was something that he found so much meaning in. It's something that he loved to do. You know, the appointed times of his father. Uh, this day of Shemini Atzeret. I just, I just kind of wonder, what did Yeshua do on this day? What kind of things did he think about? What kind of scriptures did he meditate on? What kind of conversations did he have with his father? There's just there's so much meaning to it when you begin to look at it through the eyes of the Master. So I'm hoping that we can look at one theme like that. Totally. Just imagine Yeshua waving the lulav before the Father. Yeah. It's something he did and, and singing the Hallel. Is that a tradition, the wearing of the lulav? Or is that they, they wave? Well, they use them somehow, no. right? Well, yeah, it says to take for yourselves the, 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 those four species, but then it doesn't say what to do with them. So in the Jewish tradition, you, you wave them as a form of prayer, essentially. So, like, in the Jewish tradition, it says, like, if you just take them, you fulfill the mitzvah. Just take them in your hands. But if you wave them, that's even better. <laughs> it's, like, it's like taking them enthusiastically. Remember that story? I don't remember which king. Um, but it was like the prophet said to the king, uh, whack the ground with the arrow. And so the king whacked the ground two or three times or something. And then, and then the prophet said, why didn't you hit the ground more? Why didn't you hit it more um, fervently? Then Yahweh would have delivered you from all your enemies, but now you're only going to have two or three victories. And it was like some prophetic act where the, however many times the king whacked the ground with the arrow, that's how many victories he would have. And the prophet was really upset. He's like, why didn't you do it more? So maybe that's why we wave the lulav. It's one of those things where it's like, well, our father said to do it, so let's do it with all our might. Because who knows what this means to him. I don't know, maybe it's like that. <laughs> Just one, um, earlier, when it says the, the holy assembly, what was the word used for assembly there? Mikda? Mikra. Uh, mikra. mikra. Yeah, I would transliterate that like M-I-K-R-A probably. Or, so that's different than Netzeret. Yeah. Yeah, that's right, that's different than Netzeret. The root of Mikra, it's the verb kara, and it means to cry out. Kara, to cry out. And it's sometimes used in the sense of crying out and inviting someone to something. Like a town crier saying, there's going to be a meeting, kind of thing. Um, it's also used in the sense of prayer. When it says the patriarchs called on the name of Yahweh, that's likro, to cry out in the name of Yahweh. So it means prayer. Um, it's also the word for reading. Likro means to read. That's like um, the, uh, the Karite sect of Judaism. Literally means the readers. Right? Because they just say, well, let's just read the Bible and just do the, do the Bible. That kind of idea. Eh? And then, Likro, um, the fourth thing it means is um, to preach. Because when you preach, you're crying out. So it's, 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 it's one of those little verbal roots that turns up all over the place with different nuances, but it gives us a really good idea of what to do when Yahweh says, have a Mikra. It's like, those are some things you do. You let people know about it, and you invite them, you pray, you read, you preach. And that's Kind of cool, because it's just in our day and DNA as the people of Elohim. Like, what do we do when we gather? We pray, we read His Word, and we preach. So, isn't that cool? Like, it's, it's in our DNA. Yeah. So, I, uh, I have an illustration for you to help us start thinking about the meaning of these two words. Shemini and Atzeret. Um, 
Here's the first one. This is an illustration from the musical world, and I'm going to use my iPhone to help us understand. How many of you play piano or had some piano lessons at some point in your life? Okay, well, let's say that we are going to play a scale starting with A. What's the next note going to be? So A, B, well, maybe we should, you know what, let's start, that's going to, you're smart. Let's just start with a C scale, just to make it really, really easy. How about that? Oh, actually, let's just, let's just use the white notes and start from A, okay? Starting with just, just the white notes, let's just look at what notes we would play. A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, 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 A, 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 it doesn't go to H? The scale starts over again? So the eighth, the eighth note, the Shmini note, starts over again? Hi, Terza. Actually, do you want to go sit with Ima right now, Precious? Yes, you're going to go sit with Ima right now. Thank you. Okay, so that's, that's my first illustration. And this is something from the musical world, but this is something that the creator like, um, embedded in music. In music, you start with a note, and you play seven notes, and then it starts over again. Now, can you think of any other, any, any other areas of creation where you have seven of something, and then on the Shmini, the eighth, it starts over again? <laughs> the week, yeah. That one's like very deeply embedded in our psyches. First day of the week to the seventh day of the week and then you start over again. Okay. So hold that in your mind. Something about this day is connected to that concept of counting through seven and then the eighth starts over again. You, you, you have something that's new or you, you start something. I think let's just, let's just use the word start for that, okay? Eighth has to do with starting. So Shmini has to do with starting. Starting something new. Okay. Yeah. Okay, now I'm going to show you a picture of something that will help us understand what Atzeret means. The, the, the verbal root of, from Atzeret is Atzar. It's a Ein. Tzadi Reish. Ein Tzadi Reish. And um, this is a picture of Atzeret. This is what the verb Atzar means in modern Hebrew. What's that? Stop! Stop! That's right. To Atzar means to stop. It means like, it has the connotation of stop, some, stopping something, or checking something so that it halts its forward progress, or closing it off, finishing it, so to speak. So why, why would the last day of this, the, the, the festival of Sukkot be called an Atzeret? Yeah, that's right, it's the end of the festivities, it's the, the stop of it. <laughs> it's like how you close off the festival, basically. So, on, on just a literal level, Shmini Atzeret, it's the eighth day, and it's the day when you have the, the Atzeret, where you uh, have a gathering to close off the festivals. But I think, I think there are also some deeper 
some deeper questions that we can be asking ourselves and thinking about on this day. So that's, that's, what, I, that's what I want to go with you, with you all now. Um, you remember John Lennon from the Beatles. He invited a generation to imagine a perfect world, so to speak. Imagine their version of paradise. Imagine there's no this. Imagine there's no that. That kind of idea. Um, that, was, that was interesting. I, it sparked, I think it really sparked the imagination of a generation. And I don't think that was for good, quite honestly. Although maybe some of the ideas in there did grab something that, that was good. Maybe something deep inside people that were longing for what the gospel gives. Maybe that, maybe that happened. But it is interesting that when it comes to the idea of like a perfect world, when it comes to the idea of paradise, most people have an idea of what that would look like. Have you ever noticed that? So let's just say your average person here in Prince Albert, if you were to ask them, what would a perfect world look like to you? What, what, what are some of the things that people would say? Just peace. Yeah, no wars. World peace, for sure. Yeah, children not being abused. Absolutely. People not being abused. Yeah, no hunger. Yeah, no poverty. Everyone having enough. Yeah, no disease, right. What what are some other things that we would see in a perfect world? People loving each other, yeah. Hmm? No, crime. no crime. Probably sunshine. Because you think about a perfect world, not rain or, or, or gray days or sunshine. Snow. No snow. <laughs> no snow. <laughs> I agree. Sunshine and t-shirt weather. California. There's a, there's a reason why California ha- has the highest population in the United States, eh? Or, or yeah, it does, doesn't it? Yeah. California's pretty close there. Yeah, that helps too. Okay. But, you know, isn't that interesting? Like, these aren't things that we, we believe, as, not things that only we believe as believers. These, these are things that most people would agree with us on. This is what a perfect world would look like. If there was only good and there was no bad, this is what a perfect world would look like. Almost everyone agrees on these things. And that, except for maybe a very small handful of people that have been educated beyond their intelligence and they, they've, they've like logicized themselves right out of just like a common sense understanding of good and bad. Maybe there's some people who would be like, oh, wars are good. And maybe they have some logical uh, train of thought whereby they could supposedly prove that, eh? But I mean, most people on the planet would agree on these things. Now, this is interesting because it very sharply clashes with what most people believe about another big question. Um, if you, if you like, look at pretty much any religion or philosophy or ideology, um, most of them try and answer five basic questions. Uh, where did we as the human race come from? Why are we here? What's good and bad? Where are we going? And how are we going to get there? If you look at almost every world religion and philosophy, etc., almost all of them have answers to these questions. And some of them are quite deficient, 
obviously. You know, if you were just going to line up, um, let's say, ideologies like um, Buddhism and Hindu, Hinduism and Islam and, uh, and, and uh, materialism and evolution, and just say, where did we as the human race come from? All of these things has something of an answer to offer, right? Now, there was one philosopher, uh, Friedrich Nietzsche, I'm sure you've all heard his name at the very least, a uh, German philosopher pre-World War II, and uh, he, he, he taught basically, you know, he believed in the theory of evolution, and uh, he basically believed that um, the, the big eat the small, and um, well, the law of the jungle kind of concept, might makes right, and uh, basically, you know, the, the superior beings are ultimately going to annihilate the lesser beings, uh, those kinds of ideas, hey? And Nietzsche, taught that we as the human race are, we came from nothing and we're going to nothing. And this brief period of whatever degree of consciousness we have is just this brief period we, where we get to think about our nothingness. That was Nietzsche's philosophy. And you know, you know what? If people believe the theory of evolution, and most, a lot of people in the Western world do, that's basically what they believe. They believe what uh, Frederick Nietzsche taught. We came from who knows where, just from nothing, and we're going to nothing, and in the meantime, we have this little span of time to think about what nothing is. And of course, you know, when you, when you think about that, I'm actually surprised we don't have more killing sprees, and serial murders, and horrific human rights violations. Because when you believe that you came from nothing, and you're going to nothing, and in the meantime, you're nothing, then basically you can get away with anything. And you might just, you might just mentally crack. And you might end up doing some really stupid, stupid things because after all, you're nothing and you're going to nothing. Do you, do, do, do you hear that thought? But here's the thing. A lot of people who supposedly believe that they came from nothing and they're going to nothing and they're nothing, they also can imagine a perfect world. They also believe there is such a th thing as good and bad. And they get mad at the big fella, at the guy upstairs, when bad things happen. Not that they believe that there is such a guy, not that they believe there is a definition of good and bad because we came from nothing and we're going to nothing, but they'll still get mad at him when things don't happen the way they think they should, when bad things happen. Have you ever, have you ever noticed that? I, just, I think that's a major inconsistency in the way many people in, in our society think and, and, and respond to situations. And uh, that's something to think about on today, on Shemini Atzeret. Uh, let's, let's think about that a little more together. Of course, as believers, just to put this little disclaimer in there, we don't believe that we came from nothing and we're going to nothing, do we? We believe that there was someone who was very smart, who intentionally created this beautiful world, which is why there's so much beauty and, and symmetry and, and, and everything works together so intricately, uh, which is why we, we, we see things like love and, uh, and care and, and so many of these things that are almost abstract, but they're also like the greatest realities that we experience. Uh, we believe that, and we believe that every human being was created in the image of our Creator, Elohim, and we believe that we are going somewhere. Every human being is going somewhere. So it's actually the exact opposite of Nietzsche. And we believe, too, in an idea of a perfect world. We believe in an idea, idea of paradise, isn't that? So I just, I'm just saying that to, to kind of compare some things that we believe and that a lot of other people in our city believe in, in, in comparing those things. So let's kind of like take that to the next, um, to the next concept here. Um, and we kind of went over this, but I want to, I this is the big thought, so I want to look at it again. In, to get to a perfect world, what would have to start 
and what would have to stop. And I'm asking about starting and stopping because that's the big theme of the day. Shmini Atzeret, starting and stopping. So to get to a perfect world, what would have to start and what would have to stop? Hate would stop and, hate, hate would stop and love would start. Yeah, sin would stop, perfection would start. Yeah, evil would stop and good would start. Yeah, war would stop and peace would start. I mean, it's like, it, it, it's, it's very simple, really, isn't it? And yet, these are like the big things that determine the quality of life for most people in the world. And, um, and there have been many, many, many people over the generations who have asked the question of, how do we get there? How do we see some of these things stop and how do we see some of these other things start so that we can uh, maybe like experience a perfect world to some degree or um, see something a little closer to paradise than what we're living in? Okay, so that's, that's, my, that's my first big question for you. Like, what would a perfect world look like? So hopefully that kind of gives, gives us some thought there. Now, the second big question is how do we get there? Because, you know, for many people, they would say, paradise, that's a myth. Um, a perfect world, that's a pipe dream. But it actually isn't. I, I, I personally believe that the reason we have this idea in our minds of a perfect world is because we were there once. I, I think deep in our psyche, as human beings, we realize we used to be something that we're not anymore. Some, somebody hacked the code of our DNA, so to speak, and made us into monsters. But we weren't supposed to be that way. That's not the way we were once upon a time. I think a lot of people, a lot of people understand that. Like the world used to be beautiful. The world used to be perfect. We did used to get along. We used to love each other. There used to be enough for any, everyone. And when you look at the natural world, it makes sense. But it's not that way anymore. What, what, what happened? And could we ever get back to that state? Is it possible? You know, again, a lot of people would say, there's no hope of that. That's crazy. But as disciples of Yeshua... And there's people who have read his book and have read his descriptions of the future. We actually believe some stuff about that. And that's something that we're thinking about today. So I, I have a story to uh, tell you along those lines, the second question that we're thinking about. How could we get there? How would we get there? How will we get there? And it's a story from the Torah, um, from the time when the people of Israel had escaped slavery in Egypt under the leadership of Moses and with the help, of course, of the Elohim of Israel. And they were in the wilderness. And this is in the third book that Moses wrote. It's, it, it's in the book of Bamidbar, in the wilderness. Um, in, in, in English, it's called Numbers, chapter 16. And I'll just, I'll just sum up the story for you. Basically, in this story, there was a handful of national leaders who planned a mutiny against Moses. And it didn't go very well for them. The earth opened up all of a sudden, and they all fell into this big crack in the earth and then it closed up and that was the end of them. Um, the next day, the whole nation basically freaked out at Moses and Aaron and they continued the mutiny. And they said, you caused the death of Yahweh's people. And they all began to gather around Moses and Aaron. It was probably the kind of thing that would happen right before a lynching happens. There was a lynch mob atmosphere going there. And Moses and Aaron were about to die. Until, guess what happened? A cloud formed over the tent of meeting where Yahweh dwelled. And his glory appeared. 
And all of a sudden, maybe the, maybe the grumbling quieted down a little bit. Maybe a hush started to fall over the crowd. Maybe everyone looked over and they realized, uh-oh. At this point, Moses and Aaron, they hadn't tried to run away. They hadn't tried to fight. They had just fallen on their faces. And when they saw the cloud form and the glory appear, Moses looked over at Aaron. I can just imagine them lying on their faces on the ground. Moses looked over at Aaron and said, Quick, go get the censer. And of course, that's the little dish that would hold the incense that, that Aaron would burn, that sweet-smelling incense. Go get the censer, run to the altar, get some fire from the altar on there, and get, get, burn some incense, and get in that crowd fast. And so Aaron, he jumped up and he ran and he grabbed the censer. And uh, before he had even finished that, a, a wave had begun to sweep through the crowd and people were dying. People were just dropping dead because they had rebelled against the authority of the Creator. And so Aaron, with this, with this censer, with this incense coming off of it, he began running through the crowd, shouldering his way through the crowd. You can just imagine this wave of people dropping dead and just spreading through the crowd. And he had to make it past there to the people who were alive. And Moses said, yeah, said to him, like, atone for the people, cover for their sins was the idea. And so Aaron, he managed to make his way through the crowd, probably jumping over dead bodies, freshly dead bodies. And when he made it to the living people, the plague stopped. The judgment was rescinded. It's like the people's sin was atoned for. And it says, it, it says in the Torah that Aaron took his stand between the living and the dead. And the plague was stopped. Guess which Hebrew word that is? Atzard. That's right, Atzard. The plague, you could say Atzarded, I guess, if you wanted to use Hebrewish. Um, Hebrewish is Hebrew-English. <laughs> but... Yeah, that's, that, that's a story from the Torah where it uses this word atzeret, which is what we have today, which is one of the big themes that we're thinking about. So what, what do we see in that story? We see people who rebelled against the Creator. We see them experiencing a plague. And they're dropping dead from it, which is very, very pretty much what we're all experiencing as the human race today. We rebelled. And we are experiencing so many plagues. Plagues on our health. Plagues on our finances. Plagues on our families. Plagues on international peace. We're experiencing all these plagues. And in that story, there was one man. And if he could, if he could make it through the dead bodies, and he could stand between the living and the dead, he could stop the plague. How? By atoning for the people. Now, let me ask you, is Aaron the savior of humanity? Has Aaron atoned for the sins of the world? Or could he be a picture of somebody else? Somebody that was to come? Yeah, I think so. I think that Aaron was a picture of Yeshua, the ultimate priest. And how Yeshua atoned for our sins as the human race once and for all. Why? So we wouldn't all have to die. So that all of these things that are plaguing the human race, that keep us from paradise, that stop us from experiencing a perfect world, they could all be what? Stopped. Checked. Atzard. So, that is a story about today. That is a story about, that basically answers the question of how are we going to get to a perfect world? The answer is through Yeshua. Through the man that atoned for our sins. That enabled us to experience forgiveness. That can empower us to live right. That can like, take us back to the way things were in paradise. So it's a great day to remember the gospel. And uh, I, I was thinking this week like, about the meaning of the word gospel. Gospel, of course, means good news. Eh? You guys all know that, so I'm not even going to ask you what it means. But I just, I've been thinking about that. Like, 
Because, okay, sometimes we as, um, let's say, whatever you want to call people kind of like us, like Bible believers, um, religious people, people who go to church, um, all, you know, basically like anybody kind of like us, often the world outside will stand and look at us and say, you know, those people are really negative people. Those people, when I, when I read about them in the news, they're primarily defined by what they're against. They, they, they seem pretty negative. They're, you know, maybe um, they're, they're, against, um, they're against free choice. Or they're against, um, they're against, they hate homosexuals. Or um, they're against people drinking and having fun. You know, sometimes people in the world look at, look at church people and that's kind of the conclusions they draw. Which is sad because that's obviously not always the case. It's usually not the case. But at the same time, maybe sometimes something that some of their impressions are a little bit true. But I, I just think that's sad because like the reason that we are here today, for instance, gathering is because we've heard some really good news. Like, we've heard the most positive thing that you could ever imagine, and we believed it. And like, we have this hope. We have this hope that we can be forgiven. We have this hope that we are headed for a perfect world. We have this hope that, like, the most loving man that you could ever imagine, even though he was killed brutally, in like, horrible human rights violation, of course, he, he made a comeback from the dead. And he's coming back to right the wrongs in this world and to restore us to paradise. Like, we believe that. And I just think, wow, that's such good news. Like, that's the kind of thing that could take someone that's really depressed and just put, like, a light in their eyes. It's the kind of thing that could take someone who has this, such a, who's sad, and could make them, like, incredibly happy. I just think, wow. Like, it's, it's, it's something to remember today. The gospel, the good news. So, um, it's, like, it's like the, just like, very pra on a very practical level, that's where we're going as a human race. And, you know, Yeshua is going to take us there and anybody who wants to go there with him can go there with him. So cool. If somebody wants to, like, say no to Yeshua and say, I'll just kind of do things my own way. I don't need your help. You know, that's going to be their decision. And their, Yeshua says, basically, they're going to miss out on this perfect world. They're not going to be with him in paradise. And that saddens me. I really hope that everyone in our city will hear this incredible news, like this, this beautiful hope that we have. And I, I, hope that they'll, I hope that they'll believe that with us. I hope that they'll accept... What, Ye what Yeshua stands for. I hope that they'll be there with him in paradise. I hope that we can all see each other in that perfect world and laugh together and dance and, 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 and sing his songs. Yeah. Um, this is something that we as believers in Yeshua have believed for a long time. Um, in the first couple of centuries of the Yeshua movement, they believed that there would be about 6,000 years of human history and then the Messiah would come. And he would usher in this kingdom of God on planet earth. He would restore everyone to paradise, basically, in the 7,000 year reign. Guess what? If you read, like, world history and where we're at, that's, that's not too, too, too far away. Yeah. We're, 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 in, that, we're in that zone. So. so that's some good news that we can think about today. Some stuff that is going to stop and is going to start on the way to paradise. And you know what's kind of cool? You, 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 meant, you know, some of the things you, you all mentioned, like um, war, human rights violations, um, you know, financial inequ inequity, those kinds of things, those things will stop, like, the, pro like the, pro the prophets of Israel said. But on the other hand, when we look at communities of people who are following Yeshua, could we say that we have seen those things already stop? No, to some degree not. But to some degree, have we too? I mean, 
I look, I look at our community, for instance, and I, I, I see people from very b different backgrounds coming together and loving each other and sharing and caring and helping each other. And, and you know, quite frankly, I think I see a little snapshot of a perfect world, like in our community. I think I see this little, maybe like a foreglimmering of what paradise is going to look like. Oh, what do you guys think? And yeah, you know, we're still recovering sinners. We still, like, have our bad days, right? But you, can, but you can see that in the midst of Yeshua believers. It's like, yes, the kingdom of Elohim is coming, and the kingdom of Elohim is in your midst right now. So that's something to rejoice about today.